2022, Team Milk came together by sponsoring female marathon runners for the marathon in New York City. Today, they're more than 20,000 strong. In 2024, Team Milk is making an even bigger commitment to female runners and launching the only women's marathon in the U.S., designed for and by women. The inaugural Every Woman's Marathon will take place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16, 2024. You can learn more and register for the marathon at everywomansmarathon.com. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hey, I'm Sam Sanders, and you are listening to Into It from Vulture and New York Magazine. Hiya, Bobby. Hi, Ken. You want to go for a ride? Sure, Ken. Jump in. I'm a Barbie girl in the Barbie world. Um, I hear you're a Barbie girl. I am a Barbie girl in so many different ways, but um, mostly in my childhood, I was a Barbie girl. Who's got something special? Um, I haven't been a Barbie girl in a few years. Maybe I need to get back into that given the current zeitgeist. But I, I feel like as a woman, every, everyone's a Barbie girl, you know? Why? That's interesting. Tell me more. I mean, it's inescapable. As a child, you <laughs> were always being exposed to Barbie in some capacity. Totally hot, totally cool, totally hair Barbie. Someone had a Barbie. Barbie was on TV. There were Barbie movies. Barbie starring in Barbie as Rapunzel. Or Barbie merch, you know. It was everywhere. This is Dania Asawi. Yeah, I'm Dania Asawi. I'm a fashion news writer at The Cut, and I do a lot of things. <laughs> I write about culture and fashion and the space where the two meet. Which is exactly why we called Dania to talk about the movie slash fashion slash cultural event of the summer, Barbie. And specifically, want to talk this episode about why Barbie, the idea and the aesthetic, the cultural artifact, why it's endured for so long. Going to hear more from Dania, but then later in this episode, we'll talk about perhaps the most enduring part of Barbie, the fashion. Barbiecore. You've seen it. You see it. The hot pink, super feminine, seemingly everywhere right now trend. It's not new, though. It's been here for a while, and it says a lot about why the very idea of Barbie never seems to die. But first, back to Dania. Can you tell me your first Barbie memory? I'm not, I think this is my first memory, but it's definitely my strongest memory. Um, My mom really wanted me to be a Barbie collector. I don't know why. I think she thought they were going to appreciate like Beanie Babies. Like she thought if we got, (laughs) (laughs) if we got the special ones that I would be able to sell them for like 20K in the future and just pay for college. Um, Lo and behold, that's not necessarily the case. 
Um, too much mass production of Barbie. There's too many Barbies in the streets. You know they what? You're right. They didn't rarefy them enough. Um, so my favorite Barbie was one that she got me from a holiday collection that they put out. It was the 2002 Holiday Barbie. Holiday dreams to make you smile, Barbie girl. Dreams of- I was supposed to keep them in boxes so I could preserve them, but this one, I, I could not help myself. I took her out of the box and I would either put her on top of my dresser or sometimes I'd put her in the drawer so I wouldn't, you know, play with her too much. But I, I would just hold her. She had this beautiful, like, red velvet ball gown and this, like, sheer, like, tulle shawl wrapped around her shoulders and a little tiara and, like, a silver ruby necklace. And she was just that girl. And she had long blonde hair in this updo. And I would just play with the dress and just feel the velvet. And I would just, I would look at her and be like, where is she going? Who is she meeting? And I would look at her and I was like, that's what I'm going to be like as an adult. Lo and behold, mm. that is not what adulthood is like. But nonetheless, the magic has stayed alive. <laughs> With this special Barbie that you loved so deeply and dearly in your youth, what kind of scenarios would you place her in? Oh my goodness. She would just float, you know? She would never interact with other Barbies. She was too good for that. She would just like float around my room. I just grab her little feet and you can't see me, but I'm doing the motion of like walking a Barbie, which is just a fist up and down. And I just walk (laughs) her around my room and she would just float through a party and everyone would be looking at her. Um, The other Barbies I had... I don't even remember what they looked like, frankly. I took pretty good care of them, but I would make them smooch all the time. And my mom caught me once and was like, excuse me. And I was like... The girls were smooching? Yeah, the girls were smooching. Ooh, girl. The, okay. The girls were okay. smooching. And my mom caught me and was like, what are you doing? And I was like, they're sharing secrets. <laughs> <laughs> I was like seven and I wasn't supposed to know what yeah. kissing was. Did you see yourself in Barbie as a young girl or was she something that you knew you were not? Oh, she was something I knew I wasn't. Um, I feel like, you know, I was a kid in the early 2000s, and that was, like, a horrible time to be a woman and a girl, I think, Mm. looking back on it. Um, Mm. I was a girl of color. I'm a woman of color. And I grew up in a white community in Kansas City. So I don't think that was... I didn't realize that was not normal, um, to not Mm. see yourself reflected back at you. Um, I didn't realize. I mean, I mean, in actuality, for people of color in America, that is the default, the norm. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like in this sad, sad way, very normal. If that makes sense. Yeah, you're like same old, same old. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she was just always aspirational to me. Um, I also had like a Barbie Rapunzel, um, like bubble bath. Like it was shaped like a Barbie, but you would twist her entire torso off, and it was like bubble bath inside. Um, she had long, blonde, curly hair. And I was like, what if I also did? And my mom was like, we are not dyeing your hair blonde. You're 10. <laughs> We're not doing well, that. Well, this is the interesting thing. like, th- And it's kind of like the theme of the entire episode. You know, we're talking about Barbie core as the Barbie film rolls out. But one of the most enduring cultural artifacts of like Barbie as a machine, as an institution, is Barbie core and Barbie fashion. And like... Whether you like it or not, it seems as if everyone has been influenced by Barbie's style and Barbie's fashion, even as you know you're not her or you don't even want to be her. You know, you're saying you were a young girl of color who knew you weren't Barbie, yet there you are being like, should the hair be dyed blonde? (laughs) Like, what do you think it is about the Barbie aesthetic that makes it so pervasive, even though we know how unrealistic it actually is. 
I think you just said something interesting, Sam, because when people think of mm. Barbie core, they think of like hot pink, hot pink, Malibu, Malibu, Barbie, hot pink. Malibu Barbie. She's Mattel super new suntan Barbie. Hey, Barbie's got a golden tan now. When you were talking, I was thinking about all the different types of clothing she wears and how she doesn't just wear hot pink. Like, look at Margot Robbie on this press tour. Like, she's varying from the hot pink look to do like archival Barbie looks. Um, yeah. Which I think is interesting. You make me feel my Barbie doll is really real. Barbie I don't know. I guess you're handed something when you're five years old, and it's like one of your earliest memories of what you think girlhood and womanhood is supposed to be. And then somewhere in your subconscious, that just keeps on kicking. I don't know. Like, I guess Barbie core is whatever you make it to be. Someday I'm gonna be. Exactly like you. Till then, I know just what I. Daniel, thank you so much. Long live Barbie. Long live Barbie. Thanks for having Beautiful me. Barbie. I'll make believe that I am you. You can tell it's Mattel. It's swell. All right, more on the metaphysics of Barbie coming up. Going to give you a little Barbie history. And also break down Barbiecore with the fashion expert. After the break, stay with us. Calling all female runners, it's time to lace up and join Team Milk. Since the 2022 New York City Marathon, Team Milk has sponsored female marathon runners nationwide, providing support and shining a spotlight on their unique stories, perseverance, and drive to go the distance. Why milk? Dairy milk is an excellent nutritional ad for both marathon training and recovery. Milk contains 13 essential nutrients, including high-quality protein, making it a crucial component of a training diet. Plus, it's one of the best beverages for hydration, even better than water. The same electrolytes that are added to many of your favorite sports drinks are found naturally in milk. And in 2024, Team Milk is taking the next step to empower female runners by launching the only women's marathon in the U.S. designed for and by women. Built to be accessible, empowering, and community building, the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon will take place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16, 2024. You can learn more and register for the marathon at everywomansmarathon.com. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's 
S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Before I ask you what it is and unpack it with you, I got to ask, are you into Barbie core? Individually, personally, like just you. It's funny. If I could afford it, yes. <laughs> this is Darnell Jamal Lisby. He's a fashion historian and also the assistant curator of fashion at the Cleveland Museum of Art. If the whole thing about Barbie is you switch outfits all the time. Exactly. And I don't, exactly. I don't have as much money as Barbie. <laughs> So let's define Barbie core. Like if you had to give a clinical definition of it, what would that be? I would say Barbie core, obviously inspired by Mattel's Barbie, but this idea of transforming your style um, constantly based on a mood, um, based on location, but then in a way that's very youthful. It's also very pink, right? Like pink is a thing to the to the extent to where that like... Barbie pink has its own categorization and number and category in the Pantone color collection. Absolutely. It's these kind of pink or like high lavenders or, you know, fuchsia colors. If you actually kind of put up the, you know, the different decades of fashion and style, I would, Barbie core certainly has transcended time. And so with that said, it's certainly having a more identifiable moment. Um, but it's always been around. And certainly a lot of the luxury designers have capitalized off of this idea of Barbie core um, as a trend, being that it's uh, that pink is certainly, I believe, the color of the season. So I, I want to ask you what are the biggest cultural associations we have with Barbie core, but that really kind of sets up the following question, which is when did it start? And I suppose you can get into how Barbie core, as we know it, began by going through some of the, the, the biggest figures we associate to it. So at, at the start, Barbie wasn't just doing pink. The pink came later, actually. And the Barbie fashion, as we know it, began with some, like, I want to say, and correct me on this, some classic movies that we know and love. I'm thinking about Clueless. I'm thinking about later uh, Mean Girls. Of course, all the classics are in the same gym class. I'm thinking about Legally Blonde. Whoever said orange is the new pink was seriously disturbed. Those kind of movies with those kind of white girls wearing that kind of pink and doing that kind of thing, was that the start of Barbie Core? Um, I would probably say that that's when we see, like, the first flood of Barbie Core, but I okay. actually would bring it back a little bit to, like, the Heathers. Ooh. For those for those younger kids listening, <laughs> Heather's walked so Mean Girls could run. Okay, yes, <laughs> y'all don't know. Does it not bother you that everybody in this school thinks that you're a piranha? Like I give a shit. They all want me as a friend or a fuck. The style of those young ladies of the Heather's of their prep clothes is very much like the model of you know Barbie core, and then I would say probably Fran Drescher of the Nanny. There is nothing these kids can throw at me that I haven't seen before, except maybe their trust funds. And I will say like Hillary Banks. Dad, I need two hundred dollars. I'll take them to Hillary Land. <laughs> You know, this idea of Hillary and Ashley, I think they both are different forms of Barbie core in their own way. When you kind of put up like a timeline of the history of fashion, 
Barbie Corps has always kind of been there. We just didn't call it that. And mm. I think by the time you hit like Clueless um, in these late 90s films, and of course you had the rise of superstars like Paris Hilton and Nicole Richie, which were kind of like your, your real life Barbie dolls. Bless our makeup, our fake eyelashes, <laughs> and our lip liner. It became more of a, a identifiable presence, to say the least, yeah. that now we could kind of put a face or put a image or identity to the name or what we're trying to describe. Yeah. And so I want to talk about the through line between all of those figures we just listed. They're all a certain type of woman. Uh, usually skinny. Usually, quote unquote, conventionally beautiful. Usually moneyed. Uh, and usually using all of those benefits to kind of pick on other folks who aren't as cool. Is Barbie core just as much about the fashion as it is about that kind of woman doing that kind of thing? Well, this is something that's kind of embedded in the Mattel history, right? Mattel is not disconnected or any other system or institution is not disconnected from the history of race, the history of size, but it's evolved over time. I mean, at one point in time, no one would have thought you would have had a Hillary Banks be like the equivalent of a Black Bar, you know, the, totally. the like Barbie Or version. even now having Issa Rae in a Barbie movie as President Barbie. That's growth. That's progress. It is. And then, of course, I think the ultimate Barbie doll is Nicki Minaj, right? Ba baby, I got four or five questions about her for later on in this chat, because for me, she is the pinnacle of Barbie core, right? She is. She is, which is ironic. You know, it's literally the antithesis to, I think, the original foundation of yeah. what the Mattel uh, creators totally. were doing with Barbie. So I think yeah. that's really cool. All right, a little bit of Barbie history after the break. So let's talk for a little bit about where Barbie came from. This story starts with Ruth Handler in the late 1950s. I don't know what was driving me, but I needed to prove myself from the day I was born. Ruth had co-founded the toy brand Mattel with her husband and a third partner. But after that, she saw a gap in the market. The kind of dolls most girls played with in the 1950s were mainly paper dolls or baby dolls or even fashion dolls that were kind of just, well, dolls. Your Shirley Temple doll comes all dressed up and just loves to have tea parties. So in her memoir, Handler said that baby dolls only gave girls the opportunity to play mommy. But Barbie signified that a girl had choices. We're into helping friends get well fast. And could grow up to be anything she wanted to be. And we're for sure into Dr. Barbie. Dr. Barbie's into making her patients feel good. She's this is why Barbie has had a lot of different outfits and jobs. She was an astronaut four years before a man walked on the moon. This was all to show little girls that they could grow up to be anything. So the first Barbie was unveiled on March 9th 1959. She sold for $3. And Ken was introduced in 1961. And then it happened. She met Ken. And somehow she knew that she and Ken would be going together. So now Mattel brings you Ken, Barbie's boyfriend. But here's the thing. Pink was not a huge feature of Barbie's style at the start. The first Barbie wore black and white. And she looked a lot like the German doll that she was modeled after, Bild Lily. 
And fun fact, that German doll named Bill Lilly began as a comic book character who seduced rich men. I know, right? Interesting. But the first Barbie also looked a little bit like Elizabeth Taylor and also Marilyn Monroe. Anywho, pink didn't become a thing with Barbie until the 70s. But then it stuck. Today, Barbie has its own signature pink, Pantone color number 219C. When we think of the pink Barbie core that we know now, and a lot of those names we listed earlier in this conversation, which one is your favorite and why? Be specific. I would probably say Nikki is my favorite. Nikki Minaj. Let's go there. Let's do it. Tell me why, why, why? I think, well, she is my favorite because yeah. she has taken the term and reclaimed it in a way that you've never really seen before. I'm a fucking black Barbie, pretty face, perfect body, pink feet. She mm. basically kind of put herself in a space that historically was never meant for someone like a Nicki Minaj, a young girl from, what, Queens, New York. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was not, I don't think that was in Ruth's mind when she was making the Barbie doll, uh, a young Trinidadian girl from, you know, Jamaica, Queens, you know? So I think that the idea that she has kind of made her entire image after the concept of the Barbie doll, but really this Black, being, you know, seen as a Black Barbie doll. Um, and of course, building off the shoulders of someone like a Lil' Kim, who was, you know, her within itself, like, in a way, the, the precursor to, to Nicki Minaj's onstage style uh, and imagery. Little Kim the Queen Bee, so you best take heed. Shall I proceed? I, I think it's just fascinating that she's kind of made her own lane and used this idea of Barbie to her advantage and embraced it in a way that even now, obviously, her fan base is called the Barbs. It's, it's this entire world that she's created um, because of subverting the ideas of a Barbie and making it into her own. Yes. Well, and like, what I love about Nicki Minaj is that she doesn't just subvert the ideas and tropes of what Barbie means and what Barbiecore means. She takes them to excess to the point where they are almost absurd or grotesque, and that's the point. She is doing Barbie to the extreme. You know, she's doing Barbie and not just saying, I'm pink and I'm cute. She's doing Barbie while yelling at you. Now macaroni cheese and grill my swordfish, bitch. She's doing Barbie while the butt is larger than life. She's doing Barbie while, like, screaming from the rafters which is in actuality the antithesis of what Barbie has been sold to us, this kind of mild-mannered, high-achieving white woman. I love that part of it, you know? For sure. It's camp. It really is. I, yeah. It's camp without even saying it's camp. Like, it's... Because obviously the, the Costume Institute did a show a few years ago and everybody was like, what's camp? And I'm like, Nicki Minaj. Nicki Minaj. Like, literally. And I'm bad like the Barbie. I'm a doll, but I still want to party. Pink felt like I'm ready to bend. I'm a 10, so I pull in a can. Like, Jazzy, Stacy, Nicki. All of the Barbies is pretty. Damn. All of the Barbies is bad. It girls. And we ain't playing tag. Well, and like, even when you think about the idea of Barbie from the start, at its founding, it was meant to 
say to young girls, look at this woman Barbie. She can be anything. She can just change her clothes and be anything. Nicki Minaj is doing that with her voice. She changes her voice half of every song, you know? It's like, she's just doing so much to beautifully subvert the idea of what Barbie means. What do you think then, if we both love Nicki and we both love what she's doing with Barbie core, what is the lesson of her subversion with that for us? The lesson is that there's tenets of society and facets of society, organizations, institutions, so on and so forth, um, that have created these kind of bubbles that said that, you know, people that don't look a certain way or don't fit into these bubbles don't deserve to be there. And Mm -hmm. obviously she's popped a lot of those bubbles, making way even for a new generation of of artists. And so with that said, I'm not here to defend Nikki. Everybody has their own opinions of Miss Minaj, but she is a hero to somebody. And I think yeah. that's something that we can agree on collectively. She's a hero to somebody. She may not be your hero, but she's a hero to someone and some young person looking up and saying, well, I aspire to be fill in the blank. And she is a testament to that. And she's used something in this identity of a Barbie that she can change, be who you want to be, evolve. Because Nikki 2008 is not the same Nikki 2012. Or to yeah. that Nikki 2012 is not the same as Nikki 2016. It's a vi- it's these different versions that we get, this evolving woman. Well, and like the story of like Nikki and her relationship with Barbie and Barbiecore is something that anybody from a marginalized background in America sees and can associate with. We grow up in this popular culture where a lot of the things, if not most of the things, weren't actually made for us, but we're immersed in these worlds, so we grow to like it. You know, Barbie wasn't made for Nikki, but Nikki likes Barbie. And what she does as a person of color from a marginalized background is says, I'll take your Barbie, I'll flip it on its head, I'll supersize it. I'll set it to a beat. And now look, right? Like, so it's not just Nikki subverting Barbie. She's taking it. It's hers now, right? Like, you can't think about Barbie and not think about Nikki. And I don't know. Those are my those are my favorite kinds of stories of, like, race and performance in all kinds of industries. Don't just... Don't just be influenced by the thing and figure out how you're different from it. Take it, reclaim it, remix it. In fact, isn't that the spirit of Barbie? <laughs> like, you can do anything. Barbie's saying you can do anything. So, Nikki, you can be Barbie. I agree with that. I agree. And anybody can embrace it, right? Like, Nikki also has a very large queer fan base, right? And this idea of be yourself and be who you, who, who God called you to be, you know, be you. You, you be know, you. so. Yeah. I want to talk about what Barbie core looks like now in 2023 in the, this, this episode is airing the week that the Barbie movie hits theaters. I want to start by talking about what it feels like in high fashion. We mentioned that the fashion world has really taken to Barbie core in the last few years. The most prominent among them being Valentino, whose entire fall 2022 collection was just Barbie core pink. Be honest. Tell me as someone who studies and lives and breathes fashion, was it good? Tell me why and describe what it looked like to our listeners. You know, it was, it was, it was, it was think pink on steroids. Okay. It was menswear and women's wear. So with a lot of the menswear, it was like a fusion of, 
a lot of streetwear. So you're talking about puffer coats and over and baggy, uh, it, it kind of baggy ensembles. Um, some uh, some suiting, if I remember. Uh, but when it came to the women's wear, it was like using some structural elements um, with some of the gowns, um, some of the dresses. But it was a lot of flowy, uh, flowing and billowy. Uh, type of silhouettes, silk chiffons, a lot of silk chiffons, and um, but and also feathers too. I remember feathers, but the the, the pink was like a uh, hot pink, almost like a breath of fresh air in a way, especially yeah. post pandemic. You know, or I don't. It was like we're back outside. We are back outside. Giving outside, and so that's what it was so nice and refreshing to see because you don't really see a pink collection like this very often. I remember uh, Jeremy Scott did a Barbie collection a few years ago, but you know, you 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 have these kind of moments of like quirkiness used in, in Barbie core, but this was in a way that wasn't that was done that didn't feel so literal. It was a very kind of abstract interpretation of like Barbie high fashion. And so I, yeah. I really enjoyed uh, what Pier Paolo did in that that particular Valentino collection. It was playful. I think my favorite image from it was Anne Hathaway in those high, 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 high platform pink heels the tiny pink purse and then just this sparkly like pink mini dress like it is inherently flirty and girly but also like seduct it's it's like secretly super powerful i don't know how to it's great i don't know i'm just saying i love it i don't know how to speak fashion but i'm saying i liked it (laughs) i liked it a lot I loved it. It was yeah. it was a it was a joy, and it also kind of because I also the color pink. I think people need to get off of you know the fact that pink is reserved for certain gender identities. Or, yeah, no, no. And I'm like, we need to get off of it because it, it's it's getting tired. Because actually, pink is, was a very prominent color for hundreds of years in menswear. So exactly, it's, it's it, it it also menswear, womenswear. What is that? Like we're living in the exactly. age of gender fluidity and gender neutral go. clothing. So honestly. The pink stays in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Last question is really just personal. Um, and getting ready for this chat and watching the long rollout of this new Barbie film, I realized that I am quite conflicted about Barbie and Barbie core. On the one hand, I like it. It's fun. It's pretty. It's cute. It means you can be anything. Nicki Minaj does it. Yes. But also, and we've mentioned this already. The very idea of Barbie is wrapped up in some very unhealthy beauty standards, some very unhealthy race standards. And the aesthetic of Barbie and the meaning of Barbie from the start was this kind of girl boss perfection. Even though the idea of Barbie was you can be anything, every version of Barbie was kind of perfect. She was a girl boss who got shit done and never wavered and never faltered. And I have always felt like that is an unattainable goal to set for young girls, young boys, anybody. I might be overthinking it, but how do I deal with my conflicted feelings about what Barbie and Barbiecore represents? How do I deal with that and still find a way to just like enjoy the pink? Well, I mean, I will say this. They have continued to evolve. And I think all you can do is hope for evolution because in a way 
this is like a microcosm of many systems that we live mm-hmm. in, right? Whether you're supporting your favorite restaurant that may have, you know, certain political views that you may oppose. We live in the United States with, you know, certain things happening <laughs> currently in Washington, D.C. that we are all watching and experiencing that is mm-hmm. insane, you know? And I think that there's just certain kind of concepts that have duality, and that's just the part of the world we live in. There's no part of the world that we live in that's untouched by any controversy. But with that said, we can kind of take it and reclaim it like like a Nicki Minaj and turn it into something new go. for us. So, yeah. you know, I, I think that there's a way to do it. The Maxine Waters method. Reclaim our time. Reclaim it. Thanks again to Darnell Jamal Lisby, fashion historian and the assistant curator of fashion at the Cleveland Museum of Art. All right, Intuit is hosted by me, Sam Sanders. The show is produced by Janae West, Travis Larchuk, Gabi Grossman, Jelani Carter, Taka Zen, and Ulawa Kimi Aladesui. Our fearless editor is Jordana Hochman. Our engineer is Daniel Turek. Our music is composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. And the executive producer of audio at Vox Media is Nishat Kurwa. All right, listeners, we are back on Friday with a brand new episode. Till then... Go see the Barbie movie. I guess you have to. Everyone has to go see it. Um, And go play with the Barbie doll. It's fun. Okay, bye.